and on the weekend I went to a, a conference that our ABCAP um, organisation put on, which was titled Neurodharma. Um, and uh, one of the guest speakers was uh, Rick Hansen, who's a um, neuropsychologist from California, who was the guest speaker who came out. Um, from my past experience of um, conferences, I've, I've tended to be a little bit um, sceptical of neuroscientists talking about meditation and so on, because I found many of them had some kind of... Um, um, sense of what mindfulness was, but really didn't have a very clear understanding of what the Dharma is in its entirety. Um, and I uh, always felt they were a bit like um, left-brain people commenting on a right-brain view of the world, <laughs> a bit like um, uh, grammarians or, or phoneticists talking about poetry without really understanding what poetry is. Um, but in um, Rick, um, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, Rick is someone who's about 60 and had many, many years, probably 30 years experience in practicing Buddhism in the Theravada tradition. And his way of approaching um, um, neuroscience and brain studies was um, not so much to try and um, reduce Buddhism or the Dharma to to biology, but to, to integrate it and be really true to um, what the Dharma is, uh, with a very, very good understanding of it. Um, in all these studies that are happening around neuroscience and the kind of um, findings that are coming from it, um, one thing I want to say to begin with, you don't need to be interested in all this stuff and know all, all of this really in terms of practice, because really... Um, the, the Dharma is grounded in experience. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to know anything about the brain and how it works to practice. It doesn't. Knowing about the brain and how it works may um, uh, give you a grounding in biology and um, may give you a grounding in maybe some kind of deeper conviction of how it all works. But at the end of the day, it's grounded in experience, in your own experience. Um, as the Buddha said, see for yourself. It's not even grounded in sutras, teachings, mm -hmm. but in the experience of each person who practices it. Um, however, when we look into the, the biology of it, um, just a few things I gleaned from um, Rick's presentations, is that... Uh, one thing is that um, when they study the brain, they can find different aspects of our experience like language, smell, taste, hearing, seeing, can be located in different parts of the brain. Not that they're like little discrete centres, but they, they, certain areas light up. But when they try to, um, in experimental situations, induce a sense of self, like of self-referencing, they can't find it in any particular area. <laughs> it's so fleeting and it light, it's kind of like this very ephemeral thing that kind of lights up in different areas of the brain, but it's got no, it's got really got no substance to it whatsoever, which really affirms our, our sense of what our personal identity really is when we look into it in the sense of no self. 
However, um, if it is located, if there's an area that's kind of more associated with in the brain, this is drawing on the on the on James Austin's newest book. Um, it's perhaps in the, the midline of the brain where they see the most of activity. And um, James Austin, in his latest book, has what he calls a, a theory of Kensho. And, uh, and it's about selflessness. And what he's saying from a neurological point of view is that when we, when we have a kind of narrow view of ourselves or of life and we're kind of honed in, like that. Um, there's a lot more activity happens here, but it's when we have a sense of expansiveness and like looking into the distance, it's sort of more on the lateral sides of the brain here. And he's developed a form of, not really developed a form of meditation, he's just kind of relanguaged it, which is really um, shikantaza, but he calls it open space meditation. And um, if, if you, and what he's Research. There's a lot of realization experiences that people have had in the Zen tradition. Is looking out, like looking out into the sky or looking out into the distance. And if we think of the Buddha's experience, he was sitting there and he looked up at the night sky, and he had a, a great realization. There's something about looking into open spaces, and you might want to just see for yourself again. You know, look up at the sky, look out into open spaces. And it's hard to hold on to this self-referencing experience. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. So whenever you, whenever you ever find just in everyday life, if you're caught up in self-referencing, I, me, mine kind of thoughts, just try looking out into the distance more, wherever you are. It's easier when you're in the country or you can look up at the sky. But anyway, just look out into the distance and you find it's really hard to maintain it. One of the other things um, he was talking about too, which I've touched on in some Dharma talks too, but he put it together in a bit of a sequence. Sometimes in terms of instructions of how to practice, you often hear the words, um, let it go, you know, or let it be. Um, or in Zen training, you often hear the words which are sort of more... more um, uh, cutting, you know, cut it off. I just cut off the mind road, as it says in the in the Mumon Khan. Cut off the mind road. Um, all different ways of kind of approaching practice. Um, Rick put it in a kind of sequence, which made sense. Is that sometimes in terms of dealing with our own experience, like particularly dealing with experience where there's suffering. The first point is to just let it be. Mm -hmm. If you talk about letting it go, it's about it's too quick, like I want to get rid of all this, you know, stuff I have an aversion to, you know, and people get into a, a trap around that, um, misreading it. So the first, the first thing is just to abide in it, abide in the suffering and let it be. But then, if you just abide in the suffering all the time, and that's all you ever do, it's like going to long-term therapy where you go over the same story all the time, you know, and the same story goes over and over again. It kind of etches itself into your brain. Um, so there's letting things be, and, and so you're overcoming the aversion. And then there's a kind of 
um, letting go is the next stage. You know, once you've come into that, that acceptance, you're not trying to get rid of anything. You have a kind of letting go experience. And then he refers to, after that, is a kind of letting in experience. You know, where's, when we're caught in our self-centered dream, nothing can get in. Um, and after that letting go, it's kind of letting, letting life back into us. You know, letting it flow in. Um, it's kind of nourishing. And that sense of barrier, you know, and all, I'm all by myself and I'm this sort of person that has to be the, the initiator of everything and the agency of everything. All that drops away and you kind of let it in. So it's putting together a kind of practice in a sequence. And that last one is very important because um, really the essence of meditation practice and dharma practice is about receiving. Mm-hmm. When, we're, when we're caught up in the self, it's like we, we want to, that's the essence of grasping, you know, it's like trying to get something out of life like this, you know, sucking it out. Whereas when we stop grasping, we, it's, everything's just here to receive and it nourishes us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd add another one on the end. It says, letting be, uh, letting go, letting in, and letting out. Mm-hmm. Where the love flows back into the world again. Mm-hmm. Kind of it's giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. The good little pointers. One of the other things he was com- commenting on too is that um, for, for most people, m- most of the time, Take away um, any kind of uh, personal threat that's occurring to them in their environment. So the fear, anger, you know, sort of brainstem systems not getting activated. Um, and if they're not upset because of some kind of attachment issue, you know, that they've been abandoned or, you know, shamed or left out or whatever, um, and if they haven't got some kind of chemical in their brain, that's compromising their brain, then most people come back to a state of calm. Take away all those things, and sort of the natural state of the mind is a kind of a a calm, you know, everything is okay kind of experience. Um, And it's only when those emotional centres of the brain, you know, like like the, the, the fear and anger of that sort of basic sort of reptilian part of our brain, you know, and the the upset of the part of the brain, like the mammalian brain that's attached, you know, and lives in a group. When all of those things are not being activated, then we're just back to a state of equilibrium. Kind of like Buddha nature is just there. Mm -hmm. When we get tangled up in the grasping and all the the self-centered kind of emotion that comes with that, then we get the tangle Mm -hmm. and the disruption. So it's not as though we've got to gain something. We've just got to um, uh, get out of that um, that deluded state that we're in, that, that sort of trigger off all the self-centered emotional states, and everything is okay. Mm-hmm. So, in one sense, you know, all of this research doesn't... doesn't um, add anything more to experience, but it confirms experience. Um, and if you're interested in science and biology, um, it grounds the Dharma in biology. 